Hey, good morning. You'll see the passage up on the screen. We're in um, Hebrews chapter 4. I know someone's thinking, you said we're going to do minor prophets when you come back. <laughs> that was the plan. I've been um, looking at the minor prophets all week. And um, I came to towards the end of the week and thought, you know what, I'm actually not ready to preach the thing that I was studying and preparing for. Um, so this week we'll look at this passage, and I'm sure the Lord will still work in his word. All right, is everyone there? Hebrews 4 from verse 11 through to verse 13. This is God's word. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your living and active and sharp word, help us to be helped by you. Let us hear from you and let us meet with you this morning and show us, Lord, where we need to go and what we need to do. Help us to respond in the way that you would call us to respond. We ask this for the sake of Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Um, very, very famous verse, oh, verse 12. Um, one of the most famous verses in the book of Hebrews and probably in the whole Bible, and it's got to do with the Bible and the characteristics and the, um, the attributes and the qualities of the Bible, of God's Word. That's what these, that verse 12 is talking about, this very popular and famous verse. Now, um, I remember for a long time, going through the book of Hebrews, reading chapter 1, and then chapter 2, and then getting through to chapter 3, and then getting through the start of chapter 4, and then getting to these verses, 11 through 13, and thinking, these seem a little bit out of place. Like, um, it seems like he's gone on a tangent, and then we come back, after he's finished his tangent, we come back to the main topic. Um, I think I was just really unskilled, <laughs> and um, didn't know how to look at it probably. But with the Lord's help, uh, I, th I think I have made more sense of why these verses are here. And actually, they're not a tangent. He's actually pushing the point that he's been pushing the whole time. He's trying to um, give you reason to trust in God. Because what's happening with the Hebrews, while the author is giving them this word, is the Hebrews are going through persecution. And um, they have found, they've just left a lot of comfort. Their comfort was in Judaism. It was a recognized religion. And, and they were allowed to meet. They were allowed to do their thing. And, and, and they were sort of like a, a legitimate religion that was allowed to meet and, and do their own thing. Um, and so there wasn't much heat or persecution for them to meet together and be together. But a lot of these people who were in Judaism and who were holding to the Old Covenant, some of them realized that Jesus fulfilled everything. And that they ought to trust in Jesus and call upon his name. And this was the promised Messiah, the one that God was talking about, 
in the Old Covenant, pointing forward to. And so a lot of Hebrews left Judaism and they became Christians. They started professing the name of Jesus Christ and leaning upon him. But because of fiery persecution and because the old, the old way seemed a lot better now, um, the author has to remind them that no, the Old Covenant wasn't the thing. The Old Covenant was pointing you forward to Jesus. And, and over and over again, he has to say to them, Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. Jesus is the better prophet. As you remember in Hebrews 1.1, the Lord spoke many times and in many ways to the fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so he's saying, Jesus is a better prophet. Don't go back. And then he goes on to say that Jesus is better than the angels. Don't go back. Jesus is better than Moses. Don't go back. Jesus is better than Joshua. Not only can he be better than Moses and lead you out of Egypt, lead you out of your sin, but he's better than Joshua in that he can take you to a better promised land and a better rest. And so over and over again, the author has to remind them, Jesus is better. Don't go back. That's what they're struggling with. They're struggling with turning away from Jesus. They're struggling with believing God's word about Jesus because the Lord has now spoken through Jesus. And the, the author of Hebrews is giving them words about Jesus. The whole Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus. This is God's promise. This is God's word. This is God's way. And they're in trouble because they might turn away from it. They're in trouble because they might start doubting God's word and the promises that are in his word. They're, they're struggling because of unbelief. They're struggling to trust in what God has said about Jesus and about the salvation that is found in him. And the author is very concerned about them and saying, stop, don't go back. And so what he's doing in verse 11, if you look there with me, he's saying, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now you might be asking, um, what is the rest? Well, for them, it was going across the Jordan into the promised land. But he reveals later on that this rest is actually bigger than that. This is heaven itself in the presence of God. And that's the rest that we may fall short of by disobedience if we doubt God's word. And you might say, well, how, how are they in disobedience? Well, if, you're, if your Bible's open, look back at chapter 3 and look at verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter the rest because of unbelief. They're not listening. They're doubting. And they've gone to a place where they're experiencing this, this really turbulent time of unbelief where they might turn away from Jesus and stop trusting in God's word and go back. And you would remember if, if, if you go through um, the first five books of the Bible and as they journey through Exodus and, and you get through Deuteronomy, but you, you see that a whole generation of people in Israel escaped from, from Egypt and a whole generation of them died in the wilderness before they could reach the rest. And they died because of disbelief. They died because of unbelief. They died because they did not trust in God's promise and in God's word. And um, just to get more specific, look at verse 16 in chapter 3. Sorry, we're going on a little bit of a ticky tour. Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led, led by Moses? So these people are people who heard. These people are people who heard God's words. These are people who have heard God's promises. 
and now they are doubting them and they're in trouble of falling short and not reaching the rest that they should be striving towards. Now, this is not a history lesson, but it's to say that the reason why Hebrews is talking about this is because people 1,500 years after the events of the Exodus are struggling with the same thing. And I say to you, I can guarantee to you, that two years after the book of Hebrews is written, that people today are struggling with the same thing. We struggle with unbelief. We struggle to look at God's promises and say yes and amen. We struggle to look at God's word regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that is given through him. And that is why the book of Hebrews is given to us. We should be so thankful for this book. Because there are times in life where we go through this experience of unbelief. There, there are people by the billions out there who are experiencing this unbelief right now, who do not trust in God's promises regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in him. That's what is all around us, church. And perhaps you this morning are struggling with the same thing, struggling to trust in God's word, struggling to trust in the promises that he has given. Perhaps you've become impatient and thought, Lord, I've got a schedule. Can you keep to it? Perhaps you've become worried. Maybe the Lord won't do this thing or that thing in my life, and I don't feel comfortable with that. Perhaps you don't think that the Lord is so good, the Lord Jesus is so perfect that he could cover for your sins, and that your sins are too dirty and filthy that he can't clean them. Perhaps you're struggling with those. Perhaps you're struggling that, that believing that he will keep you all the way to the end of then that for some reason he might drop you along the way and let go of you. Now, if you're struggling with God's promises and if you're struggling with God's words, verse 11 is very important. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then now we get into verse 12, this popular and famous verse. Because the problem that is being dealt with is unbelief. The problem that is being dealt with is a lack of trust in God and his word and his promise, and especially regarding his promises in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what reason will the author give us to trust in God's word? He's already diagnosed the problem. There is some unbelief and there is some doubt and there is some um, straying from him. And now he gives us um, an antidote of sorts. He tells us to how we can trust in the word of God and why we should trust in God's word and the qualities and characteristics of God's word that should give us such firm confidence in his word. So now let's look at the three main points in verse 12. It says there that for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Those three things, living, active, and sharp. That's how he describes God's word. And it's not an exhaustive list. He hasn't exhausted all of the wonderful qualities of God's word, but he's brought up the ones necessary to address the problem of unbelief and the problem of a lack of trust in God's promises. And so he says the word of God is living. That's really, really interesting that he would say the word of God is living. This makes the Bible different to every single other book in the world. There are thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of books around the world. And I'm sure that you've probably read more than I have. I'm not a very good reader. 
but I've read a few books myself. I've read some autobiographies. I've read some textbooks. Uh, I've read um, fiction, nonfiction. And what I've found is some really, really useful information about things. Um, recently, I read an autobiography on George Whitfield, one of the most riveting autobiographies that I've read. Two-volume series. The first one just got me. And upon reading it, I thought, I kept on thinking, man, I would have loved to have met George Whitfield. That's what I was thinking as I was going through the book. When you read about Spurgeon and his life and his biography, you think, man, I would, I would have loved to have met Spurgeon. And, and you say these things about these books. I would love to be there and see this thing that they're talking about. But you can never say this. After reading George Whitfield's biography, I couldn't say, it was so nice to sit down with George this morning and meet him. It was so nice to have that wonderful conversation with George. Also nice to see his face and his characteristics. Also nice to see him there and alive there with me. No book in the world can say, can, you can't say this about any book. You can't say when you've read from an author that you have sat down and met the author. No, you haven't met the author. Their books are not living and active and sharp. Their books are books. Their books have words. Their words have information. And you, you perhaps may pick up a lot of information, useful even, about the person. But you will never meet the author by reading the author's work. This is what makes the Bible totally different. The Bible is living. The Bible itself is alive because it carries God's word. God's presence is manifested in his word. When you read the Bible and you meet with the words of God, you are meeting with God. Just think about that for a moment. How does that affect the way that you look at your morning devotions or your evening devotions or the Bible studies that we have? We're not coming together to dissect something and pull it apart and perhaps learn a thing or two. No, we're actually meeting with God. And by the power of His Holy Spirit, He uses His Word and it is alive and it comes to us and it even brings us life. So the word is living. It's not just a whole bunch of words and information. When you meet with the words of God, you are meeting with God. And so that is one of the things that the author tells him. I know you're struggling with unbelief. I know you're struggling to listen and hear and trust in God's promises. But let me give you one reason why you should. It's because his word is living. And you can trust in this living word, this word that is alive, this word that manifests his presence this word that is carried forward by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't stop there. He gives him a second reason. He says that the word is living and active. The word of God is powerful. The word of God does things. The word of God accomplishes things. The word of God is active. And we see this all the way from the, the first chapter of the Bible when God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. His word is active. His word is unstoppable. When his word comes out, the thing happens immediately. And there's no gap in between God's word being said and the thing happening. Now, when you say things, there's always a delay. You're not powerful. And the more powerful you become, the more um, you can bring forward the activity into the present. So if you're super, super wealthy and you can say super, super powerful and you want something, it, it might happen very, very fast. But there is always a delay. And with God, his power is so unique and so full that when he says something, 
There is no delay between God saying something and the thing happening. Isn't that amazing? That he could say, let there be light, and bang, light. That Jesus could calm the seas with words, bang, calm. That Jesus could call out to Lazarus and tell him to come out of the tomb, rise, and then bang, he's alive. By this divine decree, it just happens instantaneously. And so his word is active. His word is doing things constantly. And as, as preachers, we, we understand this even as we preach. I know that all I can do is project my voice and I can string some sentences together. And I know that nothing will happen to you unless God's word is active. That's it. We know that when we go and evangelize to people, it's not how persuasive we are. It's not how, how classy we are or how much, um, how much swag we have or anything about us. It doesn't matter what kind of haircut you have. No, when you go and evangelize to someone, the thing that does all of the work is the Word of God because it's God's Word that is living and is active. Now, there's another reason for you to trust in His Word. Are you struggling? Are you doubting his promises? Have you come to a point where you just can't listen anymore and you're struggling with that? Have you given yourself a lot of reasons to not trust in God? Well, God is giving you reasons to trust in his word. The God, God's word does all of these things. And we see even in Second Timothy in, in chapter 3, when he's talking to Timothy, um, Paul, remember what he says about God's word? It's, it's profitable. It's able to do some things. It's able to do everything that it needs to do. Correction, God's word can do that. Reproof, rebuke, training in righteousness. God's word does all of these things and is sufficient for them. Oh friend, have you found yourself looking elsewhere for what God's word is supposed to provide for you? Have you found yourself looking to financial gurus for what God's word is supposed to do for you? Have you found yourself looking to um, perhaps even a counselor to do something that God's word is designated to do for you? Have you doubted that God can accomplish the thing that it's supposed to accomplish in your life and so you have turned to somewhere else? The author of Hebrews is saying, stop and turn and trust in God's word because it is living and it is active. It is alive, it manifests the presence of God and also it can do everything that it is supposed to do. It is sufficient. And so God's word is living and active. Now he goes on, and he gives this third point. And you can tell when he gets to this third point, um, he, get, I, I, he must be getting really excited about it because he says the point, and then he goes on and he describes it over and over again. So he's already said that it's living and active, and now he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And then he goes on to describe it, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a wonderful point that he's making. The word of God is living and active and sharper. Why does it need to be sharper than any other double-edged sword or any other sword? What, what are the other swords out there? Well, have you ever tried to change a human heart before? The warning's already given there in chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as in the day of the rebellion at Meribah. Now, the human heart is a hard titanium, diamond-like thing. And it is almost impossible to cut the heart. 
It is almost impossible to convict someone so that they might confess their sins and be drawn to repentance. That's impossible. And nothing that you can do can bring someone to, to that. But what God is saying in his word is that his word is sharp enough to cut even the human heart. And then nothing else can do that. Goodwill, good intent, not good enough. You need the, the, the sharper sword. Helping people, saying nice things, not good enough. Giving things to people, do you think that will change them? Not good enough. What changes people? God's word. It is God's word that is sharper than any other tool and any other instrument. And it's the only thing sharp enough to cut the human heart. There is nothing else capable of such a feat. And it cuts the heart in such a way that you can see here that it's piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now this surgical tool, this sharp sword, is able to see inside of you. It's able to cut you open and examine you. It's able to see all of your thoughts and all of your intentions. It's able to see all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your disappointments. It's able to cut you open in such a way that it knows everything about you and that nothing is hidden. And then we go on to verse 13 and we see here that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So God's word is so surgical that it reads your mind and it reads your heart and it opens you up so that it knows everything about you. It knows more about you than you do. And here's the the wonderful thing about God's word. We've come together this morning and we've read these verses. But what has really been happening is that these verses have been reading us. These verses have been opening us up and reading us and showing us things about ourselves that we otherwise might not have seen. God's word does this every time we come to it. God's word reads us and shows us things. It puts up even a mirror to us so that we can examine ourselves and look at ourselves and see if we are trusting in him or not. See if we truly think that his word is living or not active or not sharp or not those are the wonderful qualities that the author of hebrews is giving to us and so dear friends um these people are in danger of not trusting god's promises regarding the lord jesus christ and his salvation all the promises that are given about jesus this messiah they're in trouble of turning away from him and the author, is, or the author is saying, don't turn away, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You have no hope anywhere else except to trust in God's word about Jesus. There is nothing else that will help you. There is nothing else that is living or active or sharp enough. There is nothing that will bring you to a place of conviction and of confession and of repentance and of trusting in Jesus. You need the word, and you need to trust in God's promises and trust in his word. And so that's the challenge for all of us this morning, um, to trust in God's word. Friend, you must be convinced that nothing else can do the work of God's word. Only God's word can do this. Only God's word is able to bring you to life. Only God's word is able to bring you to know Jesus properly. Only God's word is able to show you yourself so that you know what you must deal with in your life and what sins need to be stripped away, what weights need to be taken off, 
and how you must come to him in repentance. God's word is able to do all of these things. God's word is supposed to do all of these things for you. Don't look elsewhere. Look to his word. Trust in his word. And you'll be led to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your living and active and sharp word. Help us, Lord, to be helped by your word this morning, to know more about you and to know more about our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be helped to know more about ourselves so that we might see all of the stain of sin and all of the help that we need. Help, help us, Lord, to see our helplessness and help us to look to Jesus for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised salvation in the name of Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would lead us to trust in his name and to call upon his name for salvation. Lord, help us to trust in your word. Help us to lean on it and help us not to turn away from it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.